passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting here with your Extreme Rules post show. How are you, Wei? Are you okay? I, I I'm perfectly fine. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's always just a bit of a rush trying to get here. You know, right after these shows end. But I'm perfectly good. How are you, John? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We are coming off of WWE's Extreme Rules event from Philadelphia that we are going to be getting into, and we will be getting to your phone calls after if you are. Joining us from the double-double ice cap or espresso levels of the Post Wrestling Cafe, the phone lines will be open afterwards. You would have gotten a, a message in your inbox with the link to join us later. So I'll mention that off the top and taking your super chats. So hello to everybody joining us in the in the YouTube chat as we speak. What's going on, YouTube? Hello, everybody, and uh, hello to all of you guys listening to us after the fact. Um, yeah, happy to be back here for another WWE Premium live event. I'm in such a great mood. So, really? Why? Oh yeah. So today, you know, this this the last uh, 24 hours way. I've just I've jumped on the bandwagon. You know what? These Toronto Blue Jays, <laughs> they've really won me over. I went to a game uh, in in the summer. I've been following them from afar, so I just jumped on board. And then today, watching the game and it was like bottom of the 5th. It was like me and Max are watching it. It's 8-1. Like cool. They've got this in the bag. So, um yeah, it's, it's one one now, and uh, I guess they'll be playing game three. Uh, turn the TV off after the fifth because it was just they were so far ahead. So I can't <laughs> wait to watch tomorrow's game. I think that it's going to be just such a uh, record breaking game when it comes to a game three and uh, the Mariners. I don't know. I don't think they're going to be able to take it to them because the Jays just killed them for six innings, and it was just a wipeout. Of course, yeah. Well, I saw you tweet Jays. And I remember the game was on, and I was like, oh, they must be doing great. So that's when I turned the game on, John. Oh. <laughs> and from that point on, it was a disaster. A disaster. Dude. They, they just self-destructed. <laughs> I, I literally, I came back like 45 minutes later. And it's like, it's fucking like 9-9. I was like, how did they screw this up it, it so much? Like- there is no anger in me at all. If you blow a seven-run lead, you don't deserve to win. You were the you were the worst team. You should not be going on. If you can't do this in the wild card, what do you think you're going to do in the division series? They got eliminated. Good riddance. Sorry, Blue Jays. It was uh, that, uh there's, it was one of the it was one of the biggest comebacks in postseason history. There was like three other teams in the history of Major League Baseball that have had this large of a comeback. They were up eight to goddamn one. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Yeah, no, it's um. I mean, it feels just like a pretty typical Toronto sports story. Honestly, um, I don't know. In some ways, kind of poetic for, uh, I don't know, the reputation that I think our sports teams have in in the city. Hon- so. Honest to God, when I saw that they lost, 
I didn't even realize it was a best of three series. I thought oh, they yeah. had at least one. I thought it was best of five in the wild. Oh, no, I no. didn't realize it was best of three. They have to play back to back. They would have had to play tomorrow. It's like three games in three days. Like they don't kid around with the wild card. Like, yeah, you get the postseason, but boy, you better be ready. That's why they call it a wild card, John. It's it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So, well, there you go. Uh, in and out. Two days of the playoffs. Man. Wow. This was not t- 2015. This was not for Toronto. Mm, no, oh, well. not quite. Anyway, next year, always, always another year to to come. So uh, go Jays tonight. We're going to be getting into extreme rules Uh, off the top. I guess, you know, the headline coming out of the show, it was in fact the, uh, the much expected uh, return of Bray Wyatt at the close of the show. We're just minutes removed. I'm hoping that this crowd that sold out this arena and there was, there was like a a big upswing in tickets over the last uh, week. This had already been a really well-selling event, but definitely this white rabbit tease did move tickets. So, I hope as we're speaking, this crowd got a little bit more than just uh, his face uh, that we got at the end. I hope this crowd got something. Uh, Well, what what do you think people were expecting? You know, beyond seeing the entrance, beyond the confirmation that it's Bray Wyatt's return and beyond seeing the face. Like, they're not expecting a match. You know, what else are they expecting? Maybe maybe a a Bray Wyatt experience of some sort. An experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I yeah, I'm sure I'm sure all the reports are, are coming in right now if there's anything further beyond I think what was seen on screen. But uh the fiend is back. Now is he going to be the fiend? Is he going to be uh some other iteration? Um he did show up with a new mask and then he proceeded to take the mask off revealing um sort of like his dreadlock look. Um but yeah. Well, should, should we talk about that first, or do you want to talk about that at the end? Yeah, we can start at the beginning. I mean, they had teases throughout the show, if you were paying attention to it. Like, subtly worked into the, the show. That was, uh, you know, they had, like, the uh, the image of the rabbit that you saw on SmackDown. I actually thought, thought like, watching SmackDown this morning, that it was, you know, that was... All the, all the fun and games uh, for, for the waiting crowd, that was the last few weeks. Last night was about making it as, as painfully obvious. obvious. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, y- you've done the whole scavenger hunt. Now it's time to promote the show and that make it clear that he's coming. And I thought they achieved that on Friday. Uh, so tonight they had that. They had the, uh, the, the, the shaky cam outside when the rabbit was taking uh, – pretty much just dropping some clues throughout the show to keep you uh, – remembering about the mm-hmm. uh the whole tease of that and i thought that it was going to be more of a struggle in that main event because at the beginning you had the we want wyatt chance and after sitting through a 30 minute i quit match i think this audience like to them the main event was bray wyatt it was not any of the six matches certainly yeah you know um I, we haven't obviously talked about our, our thoughts on the matches themselves but i mean i certainly sensed a bit more of a tepid reaction for some of those later matches or at least the the, the last match and and i do you know wonder if if a lot of that was because of people's expectations for bray wyatt interrupting oh, I, I have a lot to say about the fight pit match yeah okay yeah so uh you know he's here uh what did you think about the reveal so we had um you know um the the closing signature which is a triple h um signature as uh, soon as that came up it was like okay uncle paul is ready here for his angle alert lights went out michael cole was like are we still on the air (laughs) god he's uh yeah sometimes it's the hardest thing i think for announcers to convey is pretend like it's real and it's sometimes it's a very difficult difficult uh well well, we've seen from the wwe playbook oftentimes the best thing to do is just to not say anything at all and i'm a little surprised they had the announcers try to talk through it a little bit 
nonetheless, lights went out, and I think at that point everybody knew what was up. You know, you saw all the light, uh, all the cell phones come up, uh, and then you heard sort of a like a minor key version of uh, "He's got the whole world in his hands." And then cut to various um, people dressed up as the Firefly Funhouse characters. I believe we saw Huskis. We saw Huskis. Abby. Who else? Uh, the, the whole crew. They the whole they, crew. Sh- they showed the fiend in the front row, and the crowd went nuts for that that one. And then uh, from there, seemingly yes, we- to suggest like maybe the fiend is sort of like one of the past characters, right? Rather right. than his new one. Okay. Yeah, they had this this setup with a door, and then we go inside sort of an abandoned Firefly funhouse that's full of cobwebs, and then we go to a television set, and through the static images, you see the image of this new face with a, with a mask, and then the door in the arena opens, and it was actually shot very well, where you see the lantern that's covering uh, Bray's face and he comes out the crowd sees the lantern and just goes nuts and then moves the lantern it's Bray under a mask whole crowd starts chanting holy shit and then he removes the mask and you see Bray Wyatt and then we just cut to what looks to be a new logo for him and mm. that was the end of the show kind of get if you tuned in like you got your your reveal at the end and this should send you um Presumably to SmackDown. I don't know if they'll do anything on on Raw with him, but I guess that will be the Why? follow-up this week. I mean, it just seems like it's been a SmackDown angle. Uh have aired those videos it? everywhere. Okay. Well maybe 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 Monday then. I guess I feel like we'll I feel see. like because, you know, today was so um brief of really sort of um uh, an appearance from from Bray Wyatt that I think raw t- will probably be the place you'd want to like build off of that momentum a little bit more with a bit more presence from him um i i mean he, there is no real brand split anymore john so i think you're probably going to see some presence from on both of them um but maybe he's, you know, maybe uh, the Bray Wyatt contract negotiations have been going on between uh Raw and SmackDown the fictitious GMs on on each side recruiting this this top tier uh, attraction yeah. but yeah. you know all the lead up the lead up has been great the the chase mm. has been done very well now mm. it's the execution now to me is the heavy lifting now is the very difficult part there will be a honeymoon phase for bray wyatt but this is going to be the most analyzed character in professional wrestling and there is going to be i feel a dividing line of people that are going to love that he's back hate that he's back and hopefully enough in between that they're like now is the real test to bring a character like this into what has been largely a much more kind of serious approach that that we have seen by and large under under this regime with with a few exceptions of like the Dexter Loomis variety but this is taking that example to a 10 sure yeah more serious but i i i think you can there's a way of doing this that is more serious John, you know, uh, it, even though it's a supernatural character that wouldn't exist exist in real life, I think there's a way to tell the story that feels a bit more a- adult and a bit more sophisticated. Which I'm hoping the teasers, um, are, if they're an indication, um, are telling us that you know, under different hands, maybe under um, a, a different um, uh, sort of a final murder. Set. This guy and he comes back to life after being burnt to death on television. Yeah. The transition from like, you know, all the pre-produced stuff to a real world setting is always going to be the most challenging thing. And especially the, the transition from, you know, like a very compelling character on screen uh, in, in pre-production to a wrestling match is 
is going to be the biggest challenge. How are they going to portray his matches to make him feel supernatural without being overly hokey? You know, like we've seen with the fiend over and over again. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm curious to see it. I'm curious to see what his first program is going to be. I think that's a big question. Like who draws first up with Bray Wyatt? That has to essentially be a sacrificial lamb to reintroduce the character. It's like, you're not like a lot of it is. And on top of it, like, this character is going to be embraced as a babyface at the beginning, whether that is your long-term goal or not. That is how he is going to be received immediately. So that would become very difficult if it's a babyface being thrown at him on top of things. It's it's a lot, but this to me is one of the larger creative challenges we are going to see Paul Levesque um, have to have, have uh, of a story to tell involving a character that was he seems to be very fondly remembered, but in real time. Um, was a character that I think was um, of grand frustration to many mm. people and many performers that have also spoken about the challenges of working with this this fiend character and and the stories that they had to go to. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully this time they've learned from whatever mistakes, and there are plenty of them that were made, you know, during his last run. You know, something I will say though about like Wyndham Rotunda is that like the man is is has been very good at reinventing himself. And he, despite, I think, all the ter- maybe bad memories we've had of, of some of the last run, I, I think he, this feels like it might be the hottest that he's been. Like, would you say, John, like, I always think back to, like, WrestleMania 30, like, in, in New Orleans, or, or, or like, what, what was that? Yeah. 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 Like, where everybody was dressed up as, you know, the Bray Wyatt um, that week. Everybody had a fedora and a, and a Hawaiian shirt. And that felt like that was when he was sort of at his, you know, peak in terms of um, um, maybe, uh, uh, in, I don't know, interest. I, I would argue that you know the past month has kind of rivaled that in terms of like you know i mean look at look at this look at the i'm not going to say he was the the sole reason that they sold out this building but he moved tickets um we had that smackdown number a few weeks ago and like so far like he is showing like this this tease these teases Mm -hmm. um you can only go by the the evidence that we have so far is that this this audience has has cared about this character coming back and the reintroduction of him has been done very well but that's only a you only have a shelf life to do the teases and now it's now it's the real work begins we're all incredibly excited i think about the potential that you know a man with this level of creativity and not just a man but you know let's let's also mention uh, the people that he's working with including rob fee uh who 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 has been re- reported to be you know one of, one of the architects of this entire angle um there's incredible potential 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 for like incredible storytelling that has not not been seen too often if at all before in professional wrestling but does it require the right editor to you know make it transferable to a professional wrestling setting that that's not too complicated for an audience or not too confusing for an audience yeah as well and you know the the handling of the character, whether it's it's a babyface presentation, uh, a heel, it's yeah. I I think everyone is it, at most. I feel like there's an audience that even ones that did not enjoy the the fiend run, um, it, it's it's at least a blank slate. It's it's you're not just bringing back a character, but it's also in a very different system that he is coming back in. But I just feel this is going to be the most uh, scrutinized uh, character um, moving forward because there's there's pro and cons to to the version but number one it's um you know we we can look at these numbers and i have no doubt this is going to be a huge merchandise seller for the company right out of the gate with the you know the new logo that they've introduced like all Mm -hmm. of this stuff um 
And and that was one of the reasons I think everyone was surprised that they ended up cutting bait on the character, because as much as you might want to scrutinize, this was a character that I mean, God, they've left they've left that Lily doll with Alexa Bliss. I mean, it just it tells you like this was a a concept that did move merchandise. There were people buying that that bloody fiend championship belt. That thing was going for like five grand or something. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, this man is uh, has been incredible at, at marketing himself and um, making himself look cool. Uh, it, 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 does it translate to to in ring product? We shall see. Uh, I just want to go to our, uh, one super chat here, and of course, this comes to us from John Cena, who uh, appeared with you yesterday on our Impact Bound for Glory post show in the Post Wrestling Cafe. Cena sends four dollars just to say unmask the characters. Abigail being Nikki Cross. Do you think the the characters dressed up as the various Firefly Funhouse people is that a tease about them actually being? you know, uh, significant characters as a part of a faction of real life people now with Bray. Yeah. I mean, that idea has been, been floated out about having all these characters like come into human form and taking different uh, characters and placing them uh, that way. It's a way to go. And then it's placing kind of a group with uh, Bray Wyatt. It's yeah, you you could do that. There's certainly the people that could be better off uh, being thrust into a, a main group like this. Who's the guy that gets to dress up as this? Ramblin' Rabbit. Uh, Masse? <laughs> you think so? That quickly? I think Omos would be a great Ramblin' Rabbit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, lots of candidates, I'm sure, that people can throw out there. Uh, before we get into the actual review, I also want to make mention, uh, at the GCW show tonight, Nick Gage's career continues. He defeated John Moxley to win the GCW title. So John Moxley losing to Nick Gage. So that was a very interesting uh, outcome to look at after the announcement of John Moxley's uh, new contract with AEW and a lot of speculation about if it would impact uh, the outcome. And it seemed that there was uh, people back and forth looking at the potential outcome here because it seemed a lot assumed that this was going to be the end of Nick Gage's career. Uh, quite the opposite. And then he addressed the crowd afterwards. And we will have a report from John Pine up on the site, uh, probably overnight uh, covering the entire show. But that was the main result coming out of Atlantic City on Saturday night. But uh, you and I have not seen the match yet, but it was airing during Extreme Rules. I saw the finish and uh, it, it involved... Stokely the fir- Hathaway. The firm uh, showing up, yes. And Morrissey. W. Morrissey and Stokely Hathaway. That is correct. Yeah. You know, so much of this, I think we we, we wonder um, if, if, it, if it had all changed uh, with Moxley's new contract. But, you know, the, the use of Stokely and Morrissey seems to su- suggest an ongoing relationship between AEW and GCW, perhaps. Um, so may, maybe GCW continues to be one of those promotions that, that's an affiliate that Moxley can continue to work with. Yeah, I mean, it'll remain to be seen if if that is part of the new contract or not. That part hasn't been um, really defined yet of like what that's going to preclude John Moxley from participating in with this uh, new deal uh, that is set for five years. So uh, we'll shift over, though, to Extreme Rules. Um, Huge turnout for the show. Uh, Russell Ticks this, uh, this afternoon having uh, over 13,200 tickets. So this was uh, pretty much a sellout uh, at the Wells Fargo Center. So that was a, a, a tremendous uh, amount of tickets that they sold for this show. Uh, kickoff show just had um, just chatter for an hour with Kevin Patrick, Booker T, Jerry Lawler, and Peter Rosenberg. And the pay-per-view itself began with a spelling bee-themed opening with a child who was 
Given the Word Extreme by adjudicator Paul Heyman. And he's asking for the uh, the definition of the word and to use it in a sentence. And all I have to say is that if I got extreme at a spelling bee, I mean, not the <laughs> toughest word I would say that would require such uh, such spe- specificity when it comes to the definition. I mean, this is a layup. You're at a spelling bee like that. That should be in your wheelhouse to just be able to rattle off the top of your head. Should you not? This is not uh you know, this was like a 12-year-old. I would say oh, you should be able to spell extreme by the time you're 12. I mean, we we don't know what grade this child is. He may be just a, an older-looking kindergartner. I mean, the Could word. be a wrestling fan where they butcher spellings of all these words and spells it with an X or, or God knows. Uh, uppercase yeah. middle letter of the word like WWE loves to do. So Wrestling spelling bee, I think, would be a fun game. You know, like like spell um, Dozovich. Um <laughs> Hurricane Rana. Do you know how many people would be uh, just Enzigiri? E N Z U I G I R E. I don't even know. I, I mess that up all the time. Well, uh, he never actually spelled the word. Um, so, or actually, he did. He did in this opening. So he got it extreme. That's, uh, <laughs> you get to go to level two, I guess, whatever that is. Michael Cole and Corey Graves are the announcers, and Cole notes that we're going to be calling every one of these events for the future. Variety told you so, so get used to it. Michael Cole and Corey Graves. Although yeah. I wonder if, if the uh, premium live events will switch up when Pat McAfee comes back, because I imagine mm-hmm. Cole and McAfee is the number one team that they view. Yeah, I, clearly they love Pat McAfee. You know, I, I think they love the you know uh, celebrity value that that man brings. So I imagine he'll he'll definitely have a full you know a spot there whenever he wants it. Question is if it's at the expense of somebody else moving out or if he becomes a third man as a part of a third man booth. Um, I yeah I don't know I don't I get the sense that maybe they don't want to play too many musical chairs you know and not to overcomplicate things. But I, I mean I they don't... do it every year. It seems every year they just m- mess up these. Yeah. commentary teams just to do it like they just switch everybody over but i like the idea of having sort of like a one team you know for a pay-per-view in in essentially sort of like your a broadcasters on either team and in, in a coal and graves um they have good chemistry together and clearly both of them are uh more than up on you know storylines across both both brands so I, I i like maybe a sort of like a bit of consistency at least throughout these three hours as the Brawling Brutes make their entrance for the first match, this is where we cut to the White Rabbit video and then cut back. It's not acknowledged by the the commentators. So the good old-fashioned Donnybrook match is up first between the Brawling Brutes and Imperium. And we've got the whole bar set up on the floor where the photo of Seamus' grandfather gets destroyed by Ludwig Kaiser. And we see Holland lift up and dump Kaiser and Vinci after the brawling brutes are being mauled. And there's an Imperial bomb to the floor onto Holland long beatdown spot. And then Seamus emerges after he had been laid out and dropped on the bar. So he drops Kaiser and Vinci on the floor and we get Gunther sending Holland and Butch out Irish curse backbreaker and applies the cloverleaf when Kaiser breaks that up with a shillelagh and 
destroys it over Seamus's back. Imperium then clear the announcer's desk and they go for another Imperial bomb, but are stopped by Holland. Butch does a moonsault off the barrels and then Gunther nails Seamus with a shillelagh for a two count and goes for the power bomb, but Butch returns, snapping the fingers and they hold Gunther as Seamus hits him with the shillelagh. Butch and Holland join in, so they've got three shillelaghs to attack with and Seamus hits the Celtic cross, putting Gunther through the desk and they hold up Vinci for a brogue kick big pop as Seamus hits the brogue and pins him 17 minutes and 50 seconds to start the show on a pretty high note with this um these six that you can mix and match and it seems to be a a great match every time out and I think Ridge Holland is improving a lot just being associated with these others and routinely being in the in these matches yeah very much so yeah um I think the idea to do this six man after the singles match is is certainly a bit unique, but obviously, you know, given the um, circumstances of them wanting a big match for their season premiere, you can understand it. But I did have my questions about how important this trios match would feel after you've already done the singles match the night prior. And the answer was that the singles match made this match feel more important because the singles match was so good last night. So, uh, you know, it, 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 the Cardiff match was great, but like, I think you, I, I wonder how many people ultimately saw it last night. It was their season premiere on Fox and arguably the biggest, uh, you know, uh, audience that that match could have possibly had. And so it felt like everybody tonight was well aware of the quality of match that Gunther and Sheamus had last night. And that momentum carried directly on from, you know, the last thing we saw in SmackDown to the first thing we saw in this pay-per-view. Um, I thought match did a great job of setting up memorable moments within every meeting between Seamus and Gunther was really well built up in anticipation and, um, you know, like, like building up to those like big, hard physical exchanges. I thought they, they all felt very satisfying. It's, it's a name that's kind of really made it same in, in, in style um, and it extended wonderfully from the singles match to, you know, the rest of the faction as well. It's quickly becoming like one of my favorite feuds in wrestling the faction warfare between these two. Yeah, I, I thought this was great. I think you could argue, if you want to argue this was match of the night, um, mm-hmm. I, I think you'd have a lot of agreement from people. Uh, I thought yeah. that this was like just a tremendous start to the show. They all have great chemistry together. I don't want to see them like just rely on this, that you could put this six man on every other week and it's going to be a great match every time out. But I, I hope that they do have... Um, you know, I, I think that there's there's more story to be told here uh, b- between them uh, to c- to continue this, but really strong opener. And the number of trios that that are you know um, becoming prominent in WWE right now is very notable. We just saw the return of Legato or the debut of Legato del Fantasma. Of course, we have the Bloodline, which you know is more than a stable uh, or more than a trios, but uh, certainly you can break them off, um, and and maybe more to come as well. So. How many titles does Paul Levesque have in his office desk? Well, um, is there an all-Atlantic championship coming soon, maybe? Well, we'll see which which ocean he wants to uh, all Pacific cultivate. Yes, the huh. uh, he will he will get the the other oceans. Megan Morant is with the Miz, so this was the Miz's actual birthday. So he showed up to this pay per view to meet with. Paul Levesque to make sure that his birthday celebration tomorrow night doesn't get ruined by Dexter Loomis. So then he runs into Gritty, the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, and Gritty has the custom shirt 
that they have designed for Philadelphia. And he throws the shirt down and says, this is what I think of the team and your city. And this would uh, lead to many more vignettes throughout the night involving the Miz, who like ditched his family on his own birthday to come do um, to meet with Paul Levesque. Well, uh, hopefully maybe the family tagged along. You know, he was on the phone with her later. Like he wasn't with his right. family. Yeah. Well, so he doesn't want to ruin his celebration tomorrow, but his actual birthday, he was fully willing to just ruin by just coming backstage I mean, and needing like two and a half hours to find Paul Levesque's office. Uh, maybe there was an obligation, you know, maybe he, maybe they just WWE just wanted everybody to be there. Maybe he had to do some media. Okay. Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey in an extreme rules match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Uh, a very mixed reaction for Rousey coming out in the pink gi jacket that they mentioned it's going to be Jean LaBelle's memorial service tomorrow. And uh, Corey points out that she's got They Live inspired gear with Obey and Submit written on, on her gear. So Yeah. Um I love the idea, obviously, given the Roddy Piper connection. And I wondered if some of it had to do with the fact that she was facing an opponent named Liv. That's what I uh, thought. <laughs> which actually was quite clever. But I didn't think the outfit looked that great. You it was really silver. hard to see the obey because it was black on black. So you really couldn't you could only see the submit, really, unless you were very much looking for it. With 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 a movie as iconic visually as they live, I think they could have had, you know, really, really so much fun, you know, doing they live inspired gear. But I mean, this was really you wouldn't have been able to tell it was they live. Maybe this us. was supposed to be an uh, an homage to the fight scene in They Live. What? Just like never ending the, the match, you mean? I mean, it was. <laughs> yeah, it kind of played, played out that way. So yeah. Morgan comes out with a bat to the ring and eventually Rhonda takes the bat, but just tosses it out because she doesn't need it. And Liv gets trapped in the ring skirt, and then Rousey comes back and gets sprayed with a fire extinguisher and responds with the Piper's Pit on the floor and then swings the bat at Liv's ribs as she comes off the uh, the steps. And then Ronda just, like, gestures into the crowd like she's hit a home run and is healing it up here. The crowd just wants to see a table and throws the gi, uh, Ronda throws the gi jacket at Liv and then whips her with her black belt, ties her around the post, and uses the bat uh, tables brought into the ring, a chair, and they set up the chair in the corner, but the chair falls down and uh, Rousey gets kicked into the corner, but there's no chair there. And uh, Michael Cole just like covering this up so subtly. Obviously, that would have done a lot more damage if there was a chair there. Uh, and Corey's like, yeah, sometimes uh, weapons don't remember uh, that they don't cooperate. It's like, let's call as much attention to this error as humanly possible. Well, I mean, in a real world sense, I think like it, it it's understandable, too. Right. You know, but you're right. Like it does not mentioning it. She, she still got her shoulder sent into the post. Like, let's just focus on the damage that was done. It's said, well, it could have been a lot worse than uh, what just happened. It could have been into a chair. Right. Uh, Liv then gets the chair. Uh, and hands it off to Rhonda like she's going to give her a Van Daminator, but instead hits the double knees that Michael Cole yells, Code Red. 
And Liv then puts Rousey through the table with a senton. Uh, this was a much smoother senton than the one we'll discuss later. And gets a two count. And then Ronda kicks out and goes for the arm bar, then into the triangle. Liv lifts her up and does the, the, uh, the Quentin Jackson slam. But Ronda goes back to the arm bar and she's going for the dreaded bicep slicer. And from there, turns it, it actually- into... Sorry, please go ahead. It's more like an inverted triangle that she ends in here. According to Shayna Baszler, it was a short arm scissor with a go-go plata. Oh, okay. Well, there you have the uh, the, the technical. There was a lot of confusion towards the end. Please finish the, 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 the recap of the match. So she's got this applied, and they tried to make it like Liv is smiling as she was going out and she doesn't tap, but she goes unconscious at 12.23, and Ronda just gets up, and she's total heel afterwards. She's getting booed. She mocks Liv. She's talking trash as she's unconscious, and then steps on top of Liv as she holds her title up. So she there, really there was, was no subtlety here. She really was heel all match. And, you know, but she really what, ramped it up at the end. Like, this was the most heel right. she got. Sure. But I don't know, like, when it comes to Ronda, if I should be looking any deeper into that. Because, like, throughout the entire build, I would, wouldn't say she really came across as overtly heelish. Yes, she came across as, like, confident and cocky, but, like, never to me, like, being overtly heelish. Like, I wondered how much of tonight was just kind of her reacting to the negative reaction that Philadelphia was giving her, as we've seen her uh, occasionally do, you know, uh, being flustered by negative reaction. Um, nonetheless, they booked this match with her as, you know, like the, the clear favorite with Liv uh, ultimately trying to survive uh, and proving herself to be extreme. How successful that storytelling was, um, I don't know, John, because I thought there were a lot of faults with this match. You know, prior to some of those final few spots, I, I would already say the match wasn't all that convincing as a hardcore match. Um I think the idea of like Rhonda coming in, refusing to use weapons because she herself is a weapon, like it makes sense on paper, but it hardly makes me want to boo her if the intent is to portray her as a heel. Like if anything, Liv Morgan continuing to use a weapon, like why am I supposed to cheer for that, you know, against the person who refuses to use weapons? Um, I also felt like the weapon shots that ended up being employed by both looked quite awkward and pretty bad in particular people were very critical of the chair shots by live in particular to me even the baseball bat shots you know honestly though like i'm sure they hurt like on some level because i mean it's you know i I don't know if ron has ever swung a baseball bat either before this well it's to me almost like became the worst of both worlds because it, it, it like it looked very obvious that they were pulling their shots with these things and I'm sure they also hurt. So they didn't look good. And they probably also didn't feel great either. I think weapons like baseball bats, you know, but the weapons that we all have a familiarity with in a real world setting, you have to, I think, really use those sparingly the way, you know, like a Jericho might use Floyd only once in a while. Because a, a, a blow from a baseball bat in real life, one shot would be more than enough to lay somebody out. In this match, they were using the baseball bat like it was a jab, you know, like multiple times without any sort of like visual, at least significant visual indicator, like it was doing any damage. So I, I felt like it, it it ultimately made the baseball bat feel kind of just inconsequential. Um, but even then, I would have still said this was a passable match by WWE sort of plunder standards. But by the time they got to that chair shot, 
like or that chair spot in the corner and, and, and just, you know, it the whole thing falling apart with with the attempt at the backcracker and then the miscommunicated finish like in their minds. Yes, we know what they're going for. They're going for Austin Brett, you know, like like the baby face that passes out. This was not attack. Austin Brett. This was not Austin Brett beyond the fact that it's like a brand new submission that like none of us would have even MMA people like would have never have like understood. Um, certainly not the live audience. Even your commentator, whose job it is, like Willem Regal did last night on on uh, Rampage, you know, communicating the fact that it's not a short arm scissors, it's a bicep slicer. Michael Cole didn't even get the memo that this was supposed to be a chokehold and and not a bicep slicer. So like the 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 the, the drama of her passing out felt confusing, and and all I think we were left with afterwards is a lot of people asking, "What kind of submission was that?" You know, like anyway. So I, I thought it was just a poorly communicated match. Yeah, I like like this is not Michael Cole's forte. Like Ronda's going from submission to submission, and again, like this would have been whose forte would have been. Well, there there was one guy that could have been utilized in several of these matches tonight that, um, for whatever reason, does not have a job with this company. But but, but that's no excuse in pro wrestling. Like, shouldn't you be communicating with your commentator beforehand if you're going to do something different? Especially when it's when it's the finish, you want to convey that. I um, I just number one, I. I I didn't like the the ending either. The idea that she's smiling, that she's going out. I think that's just such a lame finish. Uh, Like this is somehow somehow an admirable trait in a baby face. Like they did it once with Nikki Cross in NXT losing to Shayna Baszler. Okay, that's Nikki Cross's character. But this one is Liv wanted to wanted to prove that she was Ronda's equal and that she's she's not out of her depth here. Well. You ended up out of your depth. You got beat here in clean fashion. You were the lesser of the two. Like you lost to this woman. Maybe more more so than proving that she was like on Ronda's level. She she wanted to prove that she was extreme and and that she was capable of like a sustaining a great deal of punishment and not submitting. You're losing your championship as we speak. You're yes, smiling as you're going out. She no. but, well, she didn't tap though. You know, it's again, it's that's you were caught in a submission. For. You're going out. You've lost. Yeah, you've been it's checkmated. A, it's the moral victory. Of Have you? Not did submitting. you? Did you ever in your in your days of jujitsu ever submit someone where they smiled as they <laughs> were going out? Well, I have not, but I also haven't faced you know people with the heart of Liv Morgan. Did you, you watch know? the? Uh, did you watch the Megan Morant interview they put on YouTube afterwards with Liv? No, no. So Megan Morant is trying to find Liv Morgan for a word, and she's she's like in the boiler room, and there is Liv crouched in the corner in the dark with like this crazy look on her face, and she just is like seething. So I don't know where they're going with Liv Morgan. Okay. Like, so it's a darker like, turn for for Liv Morgan. That may be what they're doing with with Liv uh, from yeah. this finish and from based on this uh, digital spot that they put up well i mean if she's going you know crazy and and darker than i think smiling in the midst of a painful submission hold um makes kind of makes sense i i just i guess i just kind of wish that we saw that transformation a little bit more before this because i feel like in the whole run-up to this um you know i i I just i i wonder if like at least this version of Liv morgan i ultimately wonder if she was really ready for this sort of spotlight as a champion like i i i feel like her matches have kind of been less than um 
impressive at least for what i considered to be the standard of like top level wwe women's right now like like with bianca belair and such not to say ronda is great either but i mean ronda has like sort of uh, her, her moves at least like look can look legit and she obviously has a lot of mainstream appeal um i would i i think to me like Liv morgan still needs some time like being ready or maybe finding the right character in order to really feel like a top level star and ronda feels fresher as a heel so I, th- I think you're you're going with the, the again. I'm not star. convinced we're seeing a heel, Ronda. Like this might have been a one. I just thing. so much of this match was designed in in that way. I I I imagine that's where they they wanted this to go at, at the end. But uh, we'll see what the follow up here here is. I, I don't think you squeeze another match out of this feud. I think we've, we've it's over. Our fill. Yeah, it's over. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Fifty. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The strap match followed that with the harbinger of sorrow, Karrion Cross. You like that one? Wasn't that your nickname in high school? <laughs> The Harbinger of Sorrow, yeah. Hey, it's the Harbinger of Sorrow. <laughs> Can you imagine, yeah. like, hey, hey, Carrion, actually, call me the Harbinger of Sorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think for this character, too, the shaved head is a much better look. This guy is just, mm. this character does not scream, like, you know, product in hair. Right, right. Um, I appreciate that, like, he came back with a different look. He's closer to maximum male model than he is, like, the harbinger of sorrow with this hair. Uh, right. Yeah, you can't be sorrow, sorrowful with hair. Cross attacks him before he attaches the strap to his wrist. Um, so they fight into the crowd, and then crosses, uh, he rams Cross's head into the post, Drew does, and then slides him I- into the ring, and then finally puts the strap onto Cross. So the bell rings, and he starts whipping, carrying Cross. Fall and pray, bitch and scarlet distracts drew and this allows carrion to pull him shoulder first into the post multiple times and then deliver a flatliner onto the desk and whips the shoulder and back of drew as scarlet is yelling more and cole calls her a sicko and the crowd is booing this and at this point of the show 
Like I had just seen a million weapon shots with Rhonda and Liv Morgan, and mm. there had to have been like a thousand whippings during this match that I was just numb at yeah. this point. And this was the third match of the show. Like I was totally desensitized to any weapons by the third match into the show. Mm. It was just, it seemed too many of these matches was just, we're just going to beat the shit out of each other for as long as possible. And it's that volume of strikes that it just normalizes itself. And it does, yeah. it sucks for the performers. Every, the eight 80th whip is going to be as harmful as the first, but to or the worse. crowd, it's just white noise and not the move. <laughs> agreed agreed maybe there was a reason why you know that that opening match uh, between the, the that donny brook match received such a great reaction because you wonder if that match took place five matches deep three matches deep how, you know how 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 much like sheamus got dropped on the bar that was it there was a yeah. moonsault off a barrel like well, that was you, you had you had walter oh drops, the, the, you, you had know? the shillelaghs in that one too so, never yeah, mind they, they all relied on weapons but, but still I'm, I'm i'm saying like how would a gunther chop be reacted to when you've seen a million you know whips and all that and that that's one of the issues with this extreme rules concept where every match has to have a stipulation i'll say like i feel like they, they at least did an okay job i think of like getting to the stipulations uh for, for this cycle but it points to a problem when you're watching the show itself you know what you have to continue to either elevate the the, the bar uh not not the uh not not a reference to the match um but um but you know a lot of it starts to look the same and and i'll say that was the case with this and the match prior and also the i quit match and of course even the the fight pit match that relied on a 10 uh, standing standing 10 count standing oh, eight count we'll, we'll talk about okay that in that main event i have i have a lot let me ask you this if the fireball angle comes off perfectly mm-hmm. and he blows off Drew's face, at least that's how it looks. How does that lead to a strap match? Um, what would it lead to? Like in bet? theory, if that angle goes perfectly, like Drew should be blinded. Like, would that not be the conclusion of that angle? Remind me why a strap match was suggested. Drew just called it out. He just wanted a strap match. Like I don't, I did, like right. I don't think there was even a premeditated attack that involved the strap. It was just that was Drew's. Didn't didn't I mean, Drew decide? Yeah, I feel like the strap just kind of came. Like he he just you know. But to me, it, it's like that fireball stuff. angle. Like that almost leads to like a blindfold match or something, or or something involving one sight. Uh, given, uh, you know what that angle was designed yeah. to do. Anyway, well, we well he didn't this. hit the fireball, so there you go. No, we got this. <laughs> Doomsday Saito to Drew, which I, I've got to say, like, the crowd did not react to this as some big finisher. Um, Drew kicks out of it, and then the the straps continue, future shock to cross, and then he goes for the claymore, but Scarlet stops him and, she, and shields Carrion, and then she pulls out the dreaded pepper spray. Or as people were joking online, she pulled out the masse and sprayed <laughs> Drew right in the eyes, leading to the cross hammer, which was a strike to the back of the head, pinning Drew McIntyre in 10 minutes and 23 seconds. Um, if we are if we are judging this with our baseball analogy, I would say maybe they hit a single. Um, I, I didn't think this was I, I just thought that the. the 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 strapping the the whippings were just really numb by three mm. minutes into this match. I thought the finish sucked, and it just did not feel like um Karrion Cross came out of this with like a big victory that propels yeah. him forward. I you know I oftentimes like find a match like a strap match or a cowbell match. I find them to be more handicapped than they are like you know um I think significant sort of like creative tools and. 
it, it, more than anything, I think they they rely on somebody who can make one move essentially look really varied throughout the entire thing through their charisma, through their actions in between the moves. And I was looking for that from Karrion Cross. I I didn't see it, you know, like every time he had control with the straps, like he was just strapping the guy and, and, and it wasn't necessarily it didn't feel like his presence was all that big um, beyond the guy just, you know, hitting a move. So if anything, I feel like Drew outshined Cross here and it's not like Drew was doing anything unique. He's just like, you know, much better at, I think, commanding the crowd's attention. Um Karen Cross came across to me from this match the way he's kind of coming across to me through his promos. Um, And that's generic. You know, like he needed to prove that he was more than just an entrance in this match. And I I didn't necessarily feel that way after this. Yeah, I I just thought this did not accomplish what they they wanted it to. And I I think it's going to be tough for the, this carrying cross character to get to that next level and and what their goals are with with the character when you have sort of this dominant champion like where what, what are you elevating a carrying cross to uh following this as well mm-hmm. it's one of those gimmicks where like i i can understand like hunter wanted to bring him back because i think like on the surface you know he 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 loves the the entrance clearly you know he he loves the way they look him and scarlet together like they look like a million bucks but um and like when they speak too like they 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 speak like capable competent professional wrestlers but it's that sort of missing special ingredient that i i never even really saw in the NXT run you know um that they they probably have to start to try to find right now on the main roster in a big spotlight yeah so anyway he falls to pepper spray so turn, maybe we're going to get that blindfold match out of this somehow you know, he, we are going to ruin your vision one way or another. Fireball, pepper spray, sword match, perhaps. All right. So Saudi Arabia, there you go. Um, we're going to go for each other's eyes. <laughs> Just want to highlight one comment here from the bloop who says, everybody liked the video. 350 people here, only 35 likes. We're not going to review the rest of the show. We're just going to pause until you guys hit that like button and maybe even subscribe as well. So I hope you, I hope you like silence, John. I think we got it. We're good. I could do this all night. The Miz is on the phone with Maurice, and she is ma- he is making sure nothing goes wrong for their birthday celebration tomorrow. Gritty comes back, and he yells that he's on the phone and storms off, and Michael Cole calls Gritty annoying, just like the Flyers. Ouch. Oh. oh. I mean- <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. Like the <laughs> Flyers. Annoying, yeah. Next match is Bianca Belair and Bailey ladder match for the Raw Women's Championship, and we saw a uh, several of the NXT performers in the crowd with Nikita Lyons here uh, showing, and then later, uh, prior to the main event, Braun Breaker in the crowd. So, sort of taking the uh, the, the takeover presentation of uh, guests in the crowd. Well, this was a historical match, John. You know, first time. Uh, WWE singles women's title has been defended in a ladder match. Not that wasn't a money in the bank nor um TLC match. Oh, historic. Yeah. Put the asterisk next to that. <laughs> that would have been a mouthful for Michael Cole to explain. Um, Bailey came out and if, if you notice, she did have a, a, uh, on her wrist tape, uh, a tribute there written for Sarah Lee, uh, who passed away earlier this week. 
The match uh, early on, there's a running sunset flip that sends Belair to a ladder in the corner and then drives the ladder into Belair's midsection. Then Belair um, or Bailey set up the ladder between the ring and the barricade. Belair is set on top and Bailey comes off with this running elbow. And this just looked so painful more mm-hmm. for Bailey than it did for even Belair. Cause it looked like she took most of this on her hip on the edge of the ladder. I was like, Oh my God. So, and this woman is coming off of knee surgery. Uh, not all that long ago that she missed for, for a year. So I was watching this, this match. I was like, it, she she was not going light in this ladder match. Well, again, John, you know we we're kind of kidding about the whole, sort of whole historical uh, nature of it, but but the expectation is there for these two to deliver at a high level uh, because we've seen so many ladder matches, you know, and the fact that this was being portrayed as like a significant moment for the women's division, they needed to to absolutely deliver, so the pressure was on for sure. Bailey then takes off a piece of her knee brace, which Cole is worried that her knee is hurt, but she's just taking off a piece of the brace, uh, but misses and gets hit by the KOD and the crowd pops. Belair climbs the ladder and that's when damage control runs out, tipping over the ladder. And they bring up that both Oscar and Alexa Bliss are not here because they were injured on Raw. So mm-hmm. Belair has no other friends in the locker room. So that's it. They, these were her, her two besties that have been taken out. Belair then fights off Sky and Kai, including including struggling but getting both up for a double KOD and I was just holding my head of just one of these two getting dumped in some awkward position but she ended up landing it taking out the two and then at one point this ladder had broken in half so Bailey has the broken piece of one half of the ladder and puts Belair under the main ladder climbs up but Belair lifts from underneath tipping Bailey they fight on the ladder Bailey yanks her by the braid and then Belair pulls her down whips her with the braid and lifts up Bailey who grabs hold of this broken ladder and takes the KOD dropping herself onto that ladder and Belair climbs up grabbing the belt at 16 minutes and 42 seconds um, a, a very high standard when it comes to a a ladder match, but I, I thought in particular the finish came off really well uh, between these two. Um, I, I have just seen so many ladder matches. I think it's very tough now to try and create a memorable one, but I, I thought they did a very good job in this match. I thought so too. I actually thought the match was great, you know, especially with the crowd energy being at a really high level throughout the entire thing. Um, I thought they were really successful in like creating great tension for every single climb to the ladder that I think um, you saw, um, especially like when it was Bailey, you know, teasing that she she could be winning the whole, the whole thing. Um, there are several stunts, as, you know, as we mentioned, like they had to kind of like, you know, live up to the standard of a ladder match. And I thought they successfully crafted several big spots that, you know, felt pretty organically constructed, like, you know, Bailey doing the cactus elbow off off the apron. Um, I thought the double KOD like as much of a struggle as it was, I thought it felt organic and, and felt real. And then of course that spectacular, completely satisfying finish with the ladder on the KOD. Um, I thought it lived up to high expectations. I felt. Yeah, they did. They did a really good job. I, I honestly, like I thought, I thought this and the, and the opener were the two top matches uh, of the show. Like they did a, a really good job. That's when we saw the fan footage of the bunny posing outside with, uh, with fans and that takes us to the I Quit match between Edge and Finn Balor. Uh, Finn Balor comes out in this sort of a demolition style mask, maybe like a, a gimp, gimp mask with spikes on it. Perhaps you know, carrying across. This was the uh, this was the backup. 
That may be. He's picked up his mask. Edge, uh, to counter, came out in the Philadelphia Flyers colors. He was there in uh, black and orange. And what a betrayal. What the hell? I thought this man is, I thought it was supposed to be a Leafs fan. Yeah. He's, you know, he, he's just, he's a hockey fan conveniently of whatever state or province he happens to be in. So, of course, Balor attacks the knee playing off the attack on television. And it's Balor controlling this for quite a while. Edge then runs both of them through the barricade. And we continually have the referee asking them if they're going to quit. Uh, Edge uses a hockey stick for a pop as they fight by the kickoff show set and uses the hockey stick to put in his mouth for the crossface. I mean, mm-hmm. how many hands have been on this hockey stick that you would imagine? I hope this thing was sanitized. Yeah, yeah. And a Philadelphia Flyer, no less. Disgusting. They go up the stairs into the crowd, and then Edge runs at Balor for a spear, and it looked like he just ran crotch first into the balcony. I mean, that that would have been my – I'm done. <laughs> I quit. I'm done. I quit. But uh, Edge, Edge uh, powered through here. Uh then Balor uses the chair to the ribs multiple times. Edge is asked, do you quit? Screw you, Finn. And he just hits these brutal shots, uh, these chair shots to the back. Edge then sends Balor into a chair in the corner. This chair remembered its spot and st- stayed in the corner. And Edge goes after him with chairs and then brings back the worst name submission in Edge's entire repertoire and maybe in WWE history. It is the return of the Educator. Awful. It's been awful for 20 years. The educator. I am going to educate you to my submission. Damien Priest runs down and this ends the educator. And then Dominic runs out. Edge spears Balor off the apron onto Priest and Dominic on the floor. This dude's going to be 49 at the end of the month. (laughs) He's doing the spear spot. Crazy. He, then he sets up for the spear. Ripley appears, and then, believe it or not, she handcuffs Edge to the top rope. This is always like very t- like. To, could you imagine like just against someone's will, just handcuffing them like that to the to the top rope? But she managed to do it here, and then the other three re-enter, and Edge tries to fight them with one hand free. He is stomped. He is beaten with kendo sticks. Rey Mysterio comes down to his music and fights off Balor and Priest when Dominic nails Rey off the apron to loud boos. The crowd got very heated here. You can say whatever you want about this angle. It is over to this audience, and it's consistent on television and was here. And Michael Cole lost his mind, Mm -hmm. screaming, Dominic, he's your father, for God's sake. I don't know He's if I've not, heard your... Michael Cole is not a yeller, okay? He just, it's awkward when he yells, but when he does, like, it just, it's nails on the chalkboard, but it does suit the moment. Like, it's so out of character. He's your father! <laughs> Dominic! What are you I, doing? I don't know if I've ever heard your Michael Cole. It's, that's Michael Cole. You're screaming Michael Cole. I love it. It might be my Dominic! <laughs> So, dude, Dominic, I, I think Dominic's great, okay? I Amazing. think he's just, <laughs> there was more to come with Dominic. So, we get more kendo, st- kendo stick shots from Balor when all of a sudden, Beth Phoenix, like, teleports from North Carolina, and she's just here. She's here. Well, I mean, 
you know, she she can travel fast. Yeah. I mean, it was the opposite of uh, last night. We have the main event of Bound for Glory, and both wives of the main eventers are seated in the front row with their children. They're showing there. They're they're seated together. Yeah. You just expect oh, big angle coming. Nothing. That yeah. nothing to do with them at all. Here we get no sense that Beth is even in this building, and she just appears like out of nowhere. So here she is, just hanging out in Philadelphia, and. Which is cool. I, I, well, like uh, completely unexpected, but it makes total sense why she would be there. Okay. W- would you and your wife just randomly pop up to, like, if you had to work in Milwaukee, okay? Yeah. Would your wife just pop up in Milwaukee, like, pack up the kids, we go to Milwaukee? Do you understand what an undertaking that would of be? Of course, of course I do. But I mean, we, we don't know the circumstances behind it. Maybe they got a babysitter. Maybe they brought all the You're kids. Right. Maybe they they're hanging out with Maurice okay. and, their, and their kids. Well, Maurice, w- Maurice was not there. She was celebrating Mrs birthday by herself okay we right. learned that so there is beth and she enters the ring big pop and it's her and ripley uh standing in the middle and they really like waited for the crowd to get into this and they go at it crowd goes nuts beth spears ripley gets the key to the handcuff and frees edge who then spears priest and then dominic dude dominic begs off he's offering his hand this was the peak of Dominic. It was awesome. He's just such a smarmy heel here. And Edge shakes his hand and kicks him right in the dick and sends Dominic out. This was same, terrific. Same spot as, of course, uh, Cardiff. Yes, with the, they called attention to. This was his mm-hmm. payback. Balor returns and nails Edge with a sling blade. Shotgun dropkick gets stopped with three spears by Edge, and he calls on Beth to get the chair. And he brings she brings the chair to him. He rips off the piece of the chair, applies the crossface when Ripley blasts Beth with the brass knuckles. Maybe maybe mm. Regal was in the uh, the background somewhere after we saw the brass knuckles on TV this week. And then Edge is hit with the South of Heaven. Three coup de grasses are delivered to Edge, and they tell him to quit. He just tells them, go to hell. So instead, they hold up Edge, and Ripley sets up the chairs and is going to deliver a concerto to Beth when Edge realizes this, and he quits. 29 minutes and 55 seconds. Whoa, that long? Yes, this went a half hour. And Edge quits. Ripley delivers the concerto anyway, and Edge is devastated. Um I thought overall, I thought I, I saw a lot of negativity to the length of this match, and I, I can grant you that the last like five six minutes of this were exceptionally strong. I would say it was among the str- probably the most heated outside of Bray showing up of the whole show. Like they were really into this ending, and I, I've got to say I, I thought they overall like this this match delivered because the. Ultimately, it was it was the ending that was the most important. And it, this crowd, though, they were down throughout parts of the, the beginning. Like, I think people were kind of looking at their watches knowing an I quit match is going long and there's still a lot to come. But by the end, they certainly had this crowd. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe I wasn't as cognizant of the link because I like I came out of the match like buzzing so much from that finish. You know, um, it's not every day that I feel like, you know, it, it, professional wrestling creates like such a intense dramatic scene and i thought they absolutely achieved that here at the end um i i i thought the 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 use of beth the fact that we hadn't seen beth for quite a little while and had no idea that she was even going to be a part of this angle and then her popping up being used the way she 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 was i think is 
you know, yes, it's a bit of a trope, like in having sort of like, you know, the, the, the female compatriot of, of, of the male getting attacked to, to push the, the, the male story. But I hope it means that this is Beth coming into the story, because now I really want to see that Beth versus Rhea Ripley match. If you're talking about a, a mixed tag setting, fine, I'll even take that. But like Beth Phoenix, to me, coming out of this feels really hot. And, and I, I want to see her back in, in ring, especially against Rhea now more than ever. Um, I thought the first half of the match was definitely flat, you know, and, and it was about maybe as kind of awkward as like many I quit matches tend to go because we have to pause the action to hear a man breathing hard on a microphone being amplified in, in, in an entire arena. And they, they could have cut some of those out in the, the beginning yeah. 10 minutes. It's like, yeah, we know, we know like, you know, um, edges. Oh, I got put quitting. through a barricade. <laughs> yeah. We know edges isn't quitting off of like, you know, a, a he, body, he literally had like a half crab on him and it was like, okay. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> they could have, they could have cut out some of those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the crowd wasn't obviously buying anything uh, like, like a figure four, for instance. But once they got into the run-ins, I thought it got really good, you know, especially when Ray came in, especially with all the stuff with Dominic, which continues to really impress me with how well it's working. And especially once Beth came in and an incredibly dramatic, well-constructed finish that they created for Edge. I thought Edge's like acting in, in a wrestling sense, I thought was really well displayed here towards the end. The, but like when he says, I quit at the end, you know, it wasn't kind of like you're expected. I quit. I quit. It was more like, uh, I quit. I quit. Like it would no hesitation. He was suddenly being shocked with the, with the visual image of his wife about to get her head smashed in. And I, I thought he played that perfectly. So I love it. I, I, I love the, like this entire thing. Judgment day suddenly feels like the most evil, like legitimate, like, you know, like, you know, t- worst group of people on this show. They've they've done a fantastic job resurrecting Judgment Day, which was a group that was DOA like five yeah, months ago. Totally. So, yeah, I I thought by by the end, like, um, it it certainly by, by the end, I think you for for the story, I think you have to call it a success by the end. But I echo mm-hmm. your, your sentiment that it was probably too long, and in the beginning, like this crowd was down for a good portion of it. Miz walks up to Hunter's office. He has found it after two hours and two and a half hours. Gritty is still there with the shirt. So Miz attacks Gritty. Loomis appears, chokes out Miz, and puts Miz out next to Gritty. Helps up Gritty, who kicks Miz, and Dexter Loomis leaves with Gritty. So we got these segments throughout the night, and what a uh, what a payoff at the end. Yeah, pretty lame, you know, all said um, at the end of it. But it's okay. Inoffensive. Um, at least it's not a match. I was offended greatly. The fight pit is the main event. Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle with Daniel Cormier as the special referee. They showed Braun Breaker in the audience and plugged the NXT on Tuesday nights. And the match begins. So we've got the, they are in the cage with the elevated platform as well. We will talk about this elevated platform. And very early, the crowd starts chanting, we want Wyatt. And I thought these chants were going to persist, but they were pretty much contained to just that, that portion at the beginning. Then they started with Rollins theme on it. Like this was a crowd. They wanted to fast forward to Bray Wyatt. I I got that sense for sure. I, I think, you know, by the time the main event came around, everybody was ready for the real main event. And that that was Bray. Um, 
But I, I will say, like, the presentation of the fight pit, like, felt big, certainly bigger than it was in an NXT. Um, I feel like they've kind of dressed it up a bit, put some LEDs on it, and made it feel like you you get the sense that they're trying to, like, build another Hell in a Cell slash Elimination Chamber that they can use as sort of a gimmick. And um, presentation-wise, I thought it was cool. Did you catch Michael Cole? Um, a very interesting point where he said, you know, uh, Daniel Cormier hasn't beaten John Jones, but you know who has? Matt Riddle. T- tell Michael Cole about that uh, that, that, that story <laughs> point, Jimmy. Of course, this was, you know, uh, what Jimmy Smith revealed to be um, his tipping, um, his tip that he was not going to be calling this match he, and that he, he was had probably this, going to be let go. He had this note that he gave to Paul Levesque and Levesque yeah. noted to him on Monday at Raw. Tell Cole about that. That's a that's a good line to use. Yeah. I just I was amazed that they they still use the line. I well. know. It's like there's our parting uh, gift from Jimmy Smith is we'll work yeah. this line into it. So anyway, um, Rollins had a Showtime kick, which uh, I guess Corey Graves noted. Uh, Eat your heart out, Benson Henderson. So people were quick to point out that it was Anthony Pettis who hit yeah. the Showtime kick on Benson it, Henderson. It was not the Bendo kick. No. Sometimes people can. Uh, anyway, uh, close enough. I mean, it's like, come on, the guy's just like rattling this off the top of his head. We can, we can give people a break. Riddle applies a triangle. So Rollins gouges his eye and then Rollins shoves Cormier out of the way. So Cormier grabs Seth and puts him against the fence and instructs him, don't touch me. The fight is with Riddle, not with me. Rollins then hits a stomp. I hated that. Because, okay. like, for one thing, it was, like, I mean, it was, like, ground and pound, wasn't it? And then, like, like DC kind of caught, like, a, you know, like, a like a, like I don't know, some contact from, from Riddle. But that's on DC to not walk into the fight, you know? Like, why, why is DC pulling a guy off to say, don't punch me, when he clearly walked into the punch himself? Well, from there, Rollins hits the stomp. And then Cormier goes to check on Riddle. Instead of counting, and the announcers are calling this out, they're like, why isn't he counting? And then after checking on Riddle, then he starts the count. Yeah, what was that? What the hell was that? Okay, I I had so many questions about some of these rules and the counting procedure. So after that... Well, it's more so like, it was just inconsistent with DC, with, with what he was doing before. I didn't even realize it was supposed to be like a standing 10, you know? I thought I I guess I had forgotten. Like, was the last fight pit like this too? Um, you you could do the counts, yeah. So you can't pin, or you can't like you. Yeah, it was like knockout or submission. Yeah. Okay. So Rollins then climbs up onto the platform above the ring, and Cormier is yelling at him to get down. And my question would be, why? Why do we have this platform if you're not allowed to go up there? Why would he be telling him to come down? This is specifically built. This isn't like you're mm-hmm. breaking the structure to go on top of the cage. This is literally part of the apparatus. Why would we not be allowed to go up there? So yeah. he's just continually telling Rollins to come down. Then Riddle climbs up and Corey is asking, can he win the match up there? And Cole says, no, he can't. So what is the point? Of this area, if you can't win it up there, like well, why I mean, does it exist? Uh, for you to do cool dives off of. Well, this you, became you? so goddamn confusing, and I don't think I was alone because I yeah. think they, the performers, I think were unaware of this because yeah. Rollins hits a he hits like 
a buckle bomb, but into the fence on top, and then a pedigree on the platform, and Rollins is screaming at Cormier to count. Cormier's explaining he can't count when they're up there, and this did not feel like a heel that felt he was being wronged. It just felt like we're trying to build drama for this ending, and like there's we just wasted a spot is what it felt like to me. Uh, but this just felt like it was just bizarre. Like we're not doing counts up here, but we're doing these teases of finishes up there. Yeah, I, I I feel like this was one where I probably shouldn't have skipped over like the opening video. I don't know if you happen to watch it, John, the 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 the, the sort of like preview video ahead of the match. Like, did they actually explain all of this? Well, not apparently because Corey Graves was asking these questions. Yeah, because like um. I, I like throughout the entire build. I don't know how well they really communicated the fight pit rules. Um, I, I was just under the impression that it was, this was essentially like, you know, sort of like MMA rules or pseudo MMA rules, you know, submit or get knocked out. I didn't realize it was like a standing 10. Um, and then I suppose the rule of like not being able to, you know, submit somebody when they're on the scaffold. Um, that that wasn't a point that they really explained um, until we got into that circumstance. But uh, yeah, I could certainly see the crowd getting getting confused. So he's yelling at Cormier to count. Um, after that, uh, we see a, a Rollins is able to, or he tries for another stomp. Riddle sidesteps and he hits an RKO, and Rollins like as gingerly as possible rolls off the platform down into the ring. And Cormier, uh, so Rollins is down on the ground and he's counting uh, Rollins, but then Riddle starts to like make a pose. So Cormier stops his count as Rollins is down. He's on his back, but Cormier has stopped the count. Rollins is down for a 10 here, but Riddle jumps off the platform and he comes down with this senton. And were you going to play it? Yeah, the, just the call. This sound will be in the in the back of my mind for the rest of my life because it was the most painful sounding landing I can recall two individuals having. It was such a clunk that uh, it just sounded terrible. You it just sounded it? like let's let's just play it. He say holy bro he said float <laughs> that that sounded pretty legit uh, it sounds it sounds way worse like when you're just listening to it <laughs> he said floating bro floating i bro. don't know if we have serious injuries coming out of this but they like uh rollins managed to get up i thought rollins took the worst of this but riddle oh. could have as well it sounded horrible Oh, oh my God. it's like Riddle's footing looked off when he came off, and it was just like the distance and the height did not compute for this to land smoothly, and it looked like Rollins took all of this. Do you honestly would you honestly say did this didn't land smoothly? Because considering I think the type of move, I it looked like a pretty Okay, I'm not going to say clean because, like, look at the point of contact here. You Dude, know, like, it this looked is like a lot he, of weight. He came right down on Rollins. That's what it looked like in real I, time. Sure, but I, I i mean, it looked similar to the way you would expect a senton landing to 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 be like. Now, 
would you do a senton to somebody from that high up even if like you know if the contact was like that god no like this was a crazy spot you know we've seen people do like moon salts we've seen people do like superfly sm- uh, splashes of course but like this move i mean we see people we see jeff hardy do this often too but god like i feel like this was the, the clearance is like so he was so far away and like uh, it, yeah, he definitely. He didn't even a, have a like a table to like absorb, you know, some of it. It's just like there, there's nowhere for Rollins to go here. He just has to eat it all. Um, Rollins does get up and he manages like to power bomb him into the cage, but then boom, Riddle applies a triangle and Rollins taps. Like moments later at fifteen thirty six, it felt like they just went right to the finish after this. It felt very anticlimactic really you think so you think so you think like maybe because of injury or maybe because of time like i because i i don't i don't know if i necessarily got that sense like i mean because this is a fight pitch pseudo mma match like i suppose a submission victory kind of made sense um but you know it was certainly a bit flatter because i think this was an audience that never recognized the triangle as a matt riddle finisher um i I, I think it felt it felt awkward way because Rollins has just taken the most devastating move here with this senton, but then he's the one that gets up and power bombs him into the fence. So it's like he gets this big offensive maneuver in instead of just Riddle go hits the senton and then boom submits him from this. Like you had that transition spot where it's like Rollins gets up and looks like he's recovered from the senton, and then we go to the finish. Yeah, 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 perhaps. It was almost like it negated the senton when he got back up to his feet. From I mean, he countered the uh, triangle, you know, with the buckle bomb. So, like, maybe the triangle woke him up and gave him sort of an extra burst of adrenaline. Nonetheless, um, it, it seems like this match, the res- the response to it from what I'm gathering from you, John, is that it, it wasn't maybe that great. And for me, though, like, I... I, I see how hard these two worked in this match, you know, like they were up on that scaffold and I thought they actually did a really good job teasing the tension of people falling off. They came up with a number of like, you know, interesting sequences, teasing people falling off. And I think simply like attempting things like a running buckle bomb on that scaffold, like scared the shit out of me, you know, like the, 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 the margin of error, you know, must be so small for, for something like that. So for them to do all that, I thought they did a pretty good job. I was surprised, in fact, that the reaction live wasn't as much. And I wondered if, like, maybe the sight lines don't make it look as impressive as it does, like, with the camera right inside, perhaps, and seeing, like, the, the, the distance between the pit and where they could fall. Yeah, um, it would be interesting. Like, they... You know, remember, like the fight pits in NXT, it's a much smaller venue to watch mm-hmm. it from. And here, uh, I'm. It, it would be interesting, like, yeah, what the what the the visual was like for people in the crowd to to see this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I I, I thought they did a, actually about as tremendous of a job with this, you know, kind of awkward structure as I could expect two human beings to pull off. Um, I think the fault is in explaining some of these rules, which probably shouldn't have been as convoluted as they were. Um, the role of Daniel Cormier kind of perplexed me. It's it's like, I don't know if they were trying to tease some sort of cahoots with him and others, but I thought it was poorly communicated if there was any sort of tease like that. Uh, ultimately, he was just sort of like, you know, neutral, neutral party. But like, I just don't think anything he did... No, and I mean, they were calling it out. Like, he wasn't counting when the viewer at home is like, he's down. You should be counting. Like, they weren't even consistent with their own rule set. I 
I, I don't know. Like certainly Daniel Cormier, he got he brought them some attention, I think, by being part of this. But it just it just didn't feel like a big kind of like I, I don't know if people are salivating after this of seeing a follow up angle or or something like that involving Daniel Cormier. Like, I don't think he yeah. left that impression. I don't think so either. Like he came out of this, I mean, just as another referee. Like not, nothing all that special about it. Now, do you feel like coming out of this, how do you feel about the fight pit concept? Do you think there's any interest in, you know, a return? To the, um, to- I, I think that you could, you could revisit it in in the right situation, but I, I think you kind of have to tighten up some of the things like, like what is the fight pit? What is the appeal? Like to me, it, it's a scaffold match, you know, like that's the only real draw to it. The fact that you could have two people fight from a top and possibly fall, fall. Yeah, but off if you it. climb to the top, you are admonished by the referee that you must come down. You're not supposed sure. to go up there. You're not supposed to be up there, but, but yeah, but that's the only appeal to me. Like the MMA nature of it. Like, I don't think was all that special. Like what, what was MMA about this beyond the fact that it's a cage? You know, they should probably abandon that and just call it a scaffold match or something like that. Yeah, I I think that they will probably try this concept again. Um, but I I think you would want to take like it. It just felt very uh, awkward at, at a lot of different points in this. I don't think this one was was executed all, all that great. I, I wouldn't say this was a um, a successful rendition of it for me. Yeah, yeah. Um... It was certainly awkward, uh, maybe, you know, not helped by the fact that this was a crowd that was expecting Wyatt and, and that probably took away some of it, too. But I, I have to commend these two for, like, the, the incredible amount of, like, uh, athleticism and risk that they took hey, they, in doing they were, some of those spots. They were very, very hard in the match. I think it was more so, you know, working around this concept that I, I think, like, the concept shouldn't dictate the... Um, you know, it shouldn't be such a hindrance that you have to work around it. And I think sometimes this fight pit became something like it was it was an obstacle for them instead of enhancing the match. Yeah. Yeah. If they built this as like, oh, two people can climb up on that structure and they could fall 30 feet below and, and you know, come to uh, great damage like that. That might have been more interesting than like this, whatever MMA thing that they're trying to push. Like, um, think about the fact that you had on the t- on the top platform. Rollins takes the or sorry Riddle takes the pedigree mm-hmm. it's way more dramatic if you're doing the count and Riddle beats the count to get back up from a pedigree conversely Rollins getting up from the RKO like the only reason to do those spots in this type of a match is the drama of the other one beating the count and they had no count it was like wasted moves I just I, I, I hate the idea of of a count in a match like this well that's like, wh- that was the whole basis of this thing because the but- count was everything but it's just like it's it like why like why would it why would it why would there even be a count like it was, well you uh, can uh, win by knockout and that is their way of conveying a knockout it's not going to oh. be just you know you're out cold and the guy's just waving it off it's like it's going to be knockout or submission I see okay which is fine and for a, for a setting like this where you're doing big moves like you want to em- uh, promote the drama and a ten count is going to be dramatic um, that's fine but. The two big, the two big finishers that were used were in this area that you can't execute the count and generate that drama from the crowd to count along and have the person stagger to their feet. Uh, you should have done those in the ring then, and I think that's where there was some kind of miscommunication of you know doing these counts because it just seemed like you wasted these moves and these opportunities to build up the 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 hype for the match. 
Right. Yeah. And another case seems like they, they might need to retool this, at least, you know, communicate um, some of the rules a little bit more effectively for, for the audience. But uh, what did you guys think of the fight pit? What did you guys think of extreme rules? At this point, we go and take your feedback. Uh, we invite people who are double, double ice cap and espresso patrons to call in. You can find that link in your email. Otherwise, we will go to forum.postwrestling.com. And of course, super chats here at uh, youtube.com slash post wrestling. You want to start off with some super chats, John? Let's start. Okay, let's go first of all to Sin City Saint, who sends $10. Thank you so much for the support, Sin City Saint. He says, I feel like the WWE has too much talent to focus on now. It's going to be rough all around, especially with Randy and Cody returning at some point. Lots of cards in the deck to play. What are your thoughts? Too much talent? I that that to me is not um, a terrible problem to have. And especially when you have as much television as WWE has to fill every week, Uh, when you have three hours on Monday and two on Friday, I would not be complaining about having too much um, talent that are especially stars. And I think you would classify Randy and Cody as stars. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about that, but inevitably like they are signing all these people, bringing people back. There is going to be, you know, people that are not, um, you know, th- this is this is a, a honeymoon period in WWE, and there will be a period when you know there's there's not going to be television time for everybody to go around or prominent stories for everybody. There are going to be tiers of talent, and there's going to be you know the the maximum male models, and then there's going to be the more emphasized acts as as well. So, in, in time, that will sort of play itself out. But you know, they. That that's going to be in any company. I, I would never want to shy away from having you know too much. Yeah, you want to have options, right? Um, having too many, too much talent is 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 never a problem. But choosing to focus on too many at once and you know um, confusing storylines um, by showing everybody, I I think can be a problem. And to me, that's the problem I'm seeing with AEW right now. Um, they're trying to feature too many people, and I think not giving enough airtime to the people that are uh, that need it the most in order to just, to just tell like, you know, a few cohesive stories rather than giving a little bit to every single person. So it's more of a test on, I think how, like, I don't know, um, discipline perhaps like the, the, the WWE can be in, 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 in how focused they can be. And we, we don't exactly know yet because it's still a relatively new creative regime. Thank you for the support. Sin City Saint. We've got a John, John Cena who sends $2 to say angry. Michael Cole is my new favorite Pollock voice. We, we might have a winner with Dominic. He was outraged. The, the, maybe the two opposites, you know, the yin and the yang. You have Dominic and you have angry Michael Cole. Yes. And then That's finally, <laughs> we got a Jake. Jake from the Windy City says tonight is the real main event. The Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka. It starts off in 20 minutes. Wow. Okay. We better get this thing, uh, get this show on the road. Uh, let's do some phone calls here from our uh, post-wrestling double-double ice cap and espresso patrons. Let's start off here with Hanzi. Hanzi, welcome to the show. What's going on, man? Um, what's the call? Yeah, no, I, I, I thought the opening match was really good, and I thought – the last bit of uh, the last man standing and the main event. The ladder match was fine. It just I've seen enough ladder matches, and I don't think you're going to impress me with like I mean between all these companies that do ladder matches. You know what I mean? I'm seeing them all the time, so I wasn't really as much a like a like, yeah. I, but I, have I, you I, seen a women's ladder match for a WWE title, Hanzi? 
<laughs> I, I guess you got me. I mean, this, I, I always hate the semantics where they go, this is the first women's ladder match when I literally seen so many ladder, like, like, like the fact you don't, you you don't call a Money in the Bank match a, a ladder match. It's like, it, it just takes me out when they try to do semantics with, with stats and all that. Um, with, with, with the Cross and Drew thing, uh, I, I gotta be honest. I never, I've not been to Cross's character ever since Michael, um, at, not Michael Cole, Adam Cole roasted him about like, what makes you so special? You know what makes me special when they ring the bell? I think that like that promo was like the Rock and Billy Gunn moment for me at least. I never really been into Cross as much after that, and I don't know. I gave it a chance, and it wasn't really that great. I understand they needed to do a you know a couple of gimmicks, and again, you guys have been more favorable towards Judgment Day, and I haven't in the sense that. Like, even though they get good beatdowns, they haven't had, like, super definitive victories. And I think that's kind of weak. But after tonight, this is probably the first time that I really think there's heat to the group and how Michael Cole reacted and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I thought that I thought that was really great. There was someone who posted on, online on Twitter about Liv Morgan. After mm-hmm. the match, she, it didn't show it on, on, on television, but she was sitting there just laughing uncontrollably for a couple of minutes. So maybe they're doing, like, a... They're doing um, a, a Harley Quinn character or something like that, but that's the impression that I got from what people are saying. But uh, the the main event for me was like the Bray Wyatt stuff. Um, I I think you know what it's it's probably a good decision because people might get mad that he didn't go to AEW, but I think in WWE he probably fits that mold better. And uh, yeah. yeah, but look, do you get? Somebody said that uh, I'll get and I'll I'll leave after this. But somebody said that because like, there's so many hidden things there that rabbit backwards is Tabar, so people think that T-Bar is going to be one of the guys in the stable or I something like that. I go on Reddit a lot, so I mean, these, these are the theories that you read on there. But, it felt um, like a joke no, to but me. But... You guys did a good job, and I just thought that it's, yeah, it's fine, whatever, but uh, no, but I thought the pay-per-view was pretty decent, but it wasn't the best pay-per-view, but the Bray Wyatt stuff was probably phenomenal. I, I, I miss the guy. I, I'm a fan of the guy. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but I'm willing to give it a new chance, and I'm glad that he stuck with WWE, because I don't think I wanted him in AEW, because then people would have complained that it's just too much sports entertainment. I think it fits. I gotta see how this plays out, but uh, anyways, uh, I'll see. I'll, I might see you guys in uh, Dynamite, if you guys are in Toronto. I might. I don't, yeah. I, I'm going to Rampage too. I got that. I got a ticket like ten bucks uh, for Rampage, like okay. a, a front, like a, a floor seat for it because of the tickets were like really, really low price. How, so how did you get I'm that? Did you just get get it from Ticketmaster, like the ten dollars seat? No, no, no. I, I went to I went to um, uh, StubHub, and oh. a lot of the tickets were like like eleven dollars, six dollars. Wow. Uh, like twenty. You, you can get the Rampage pretty. So pretty cheap I just go. You know Thursday. what? I they, they don't come to Canada often. Okay. What's that? Cool. Nothing. We're we're on a delay, Hansi. But uh, I, I I thank I you so much for the call. Uh, appreciate it. And okay, yeah, maybe. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And then maybe and maybe we will see you because we are doing a very informal meetup in front of the Tim Hortons at one seventy one East Liberty Street, uh, right before Dynamite on the Wednesday, five p.m. Eastern. So if you're listening to us, you want to hang out. Grab a coffee, grab a sleeve from Post Wrestling. Uh, come see us 5 p.m. Eastern time, right before Dynamite, 171 East Liberty Street. Um, don't tell them about it. Like, don't walk into Tim Hortons and be like, "Where's the Post Wrestling meetup?" Because, like, they they'll have us uh, arrested. So, yeah, yeah just they don't know keep anything. It on the down low. Uh, yeah. Um, what did Hansi talk about? I'm sorry. I've, I've Rampage so much tickets. I... You can get it. You can get it on on StubHub. Eight dollar tickets to get into Rampage right now. 
Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, well, uh, you know, he brought up like a number of like maybe a Dijak. I think Dijak would be wonderful to see as part of a bigger stable. He certainly needs something right now. If he's going to be any sort of player, you know, uh, under the leadership, the bloob here sends a $2 super chat to say cross Alexa Gacy all had Bray moments. Could they be a part of Bray's new squad? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you could you could throw in any of those names. The Nikki Cross one was thrown out. Uh, you know, Dexter Loomis could fit into there uh, in, in some form. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I I wonder. I wonder what a stable will be like. Obviously, the Wyatt family, you know, is w- w- was a great thing for for them. But um, certain people, I think, could run with it. I just I don't know if I see Joe Gacy like benefiting from like being behind Bray like he's not bigger than Bray Wyatt um so he doesn't like feel like an enforcer or muscle type Alexa I want her far away from all this stuff you know like she I don't I I I think there's more way more value in her being like you know not attached at all to this hocus pocus stuff at least in the long term um Nikki Cross sure why not like she's not doing anything else you know better than the superhero thing thank you so much for the support bloop Let's go up next to New Jersey and a guy that we might also see on Wednesday. <laughs> Brandon, oh my goodness. Talk about uncontrollable laughter. What's going on, man? Uh, <laughs> forgive me. I'm, I'm, uh, according to you from, from this week, John, I'm, I'm three deep in a couple shots of bourbon from uh, the Phillies. Uh. Well, I, I call him like I see him. Did we lose Brandon already? Okay, he's gone. Yeah, I don't know. He's like the fiend. He's just... Pops up and then tune in on Monday. Yeah. Okay. That, what we, the fuck? We, that's it. We, Seriously? We got a visual image there. I mean, that's Brandon. Uh, maybe we'll right. see him this week. We will see. All right. Uh, any more calls, Way? No more calls. Forum.postwrestling.com now, where all of our patrons at postwrestlingcafe.com can leave their written feedback. Do you want to start, John? Saeed from Vancouver. The show was very hit and miss. Started with two fun matches, but then the strap match was very boring before the show picked up again. Hope Bailey is okay after the KOD and the latter smoked her in the mouth. What an ending. I honestly thought the show was was the show was over, over after the graphic, but Hunter loves those post-graphic angles. Bray is so damn creative. Very interested to see where this goes. Time to make dinner and enjoy some F1. All right. A lot of F1. No, with Will Max Verstappen clinch it tonight. Yeah, I, I wish we were on the West Coast. This would make it a much more enticing yeah. time. We got a Brandon from Oshawa who says, this was a really good show with a terrible crowd that should have been much hotter than just for certain spots. Edge and Balor was my match of the night, and I'm glad they found a creative way to give Finn the win. He needed it much more. My favorite moment of the night was Cole shouting out the White Castle of Fear strap match from Super Bowl Three. Do you guys think Bray's life-size puppets get reveals of actual people? Yeah. That is a speculation. I, I'd go as far as to say maybe that's the expectation at this point. I mean, if know? they're introducing them the way they did tonight in the crowd, that sort of would be the next step, like is mm-hmm. revealing who these people are showing up in the crowd. I mean, that would that would seem to make sense. Uh, next one is Benjamin. The Brutes versus Imperium was damn good. These six have such great chemistry. Kind of reminds me of what the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian did for each other. Video packages were great. Glad Bray Wyatt is back. Kate from Montreal, who joined me on last night's Rwanda Smackdown, says the Bray reintroduction was absolute perfection at the end of a pretty tepid show. None of the matches were memorable and most felt like they went too long, with the exception being Rollins versus Riddle, which felt like it was kicking into high gear when it finished. Now we get to find out once and for all if Wyatt can pay off the enormous promise his characters have always shown. He definitely has my attention. 
I think he has everyone's attention. I think he is. Everyone is curious to see what the steps are, and yeah, this will be a lot on you know. And there's probably collaboration, but it, it is going to fall on on Paul Levesque's shoulders. I think a lot in in terms of the the handling of it. Verus from Malaysia, thumbs in the middle show, amazing opening six-man, perhaps set the bar too high for me with the next two matches, a clunky Ronda Live match and lackluster Cross versus Drew match were downers. It picked back up with a decent ladder match between Bianca and Bailey. however, Finn and Edge went too long, but Cole's call and the fridging finish saves it for me. Riddle and Rollins was an okay match in my book and that insane senton spot. Bray's reveal was amazing at the end. Can't wait to see what is in store with Bray, not under the creative control of Vince McMahon moving forward. Six out of ten. Fridging being a reference to uh, in comic books when the female character, um, female associate of a male character is, you know, harmed, um, you know, to further a male character story. Uh, Yeah, I was about to explain that. That courtesy of W.H. Park on this week's MCU later. So if you want a full explanation of what fridging is and the origins from Green Lantern comics. You can listen to this week's She-Hulk review up in the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, and I know, John, you were about to say all that. So let's go to Manny from Pacoima, who says, Really good show. Imperium versus versus the Brawling Brutes was a great opening match. I wouldn't want to piss off any of those guys. Sign Gritty to NXT. He says, The latter match was amazing as well. Bianca and Bailey gave it their all, with Bianca besting all of damage control. By the time the fight pit match was over, I had completely forgotten about the White Rabbit. But he's here. What a way to bring him back. The crowd was going nuts, and I had goosebumps all over. Can we assume the Wyatt Six will all be active wrestlers? Bray Wyatt is back. Also, props to Sino and Kate for helping out with the post shows. And shout out for Way and John's White Rabbit Conspiracy Corner. You're all invited to the Carne Asada. Oh, wonderful. Love Carne Asada. Okay, um, yeah. So I didn't even put together that like there were six. How many were there, John? Can we confirm the number of characters that were appearing? Uh, no. No, I got, I got, uh, just, just, just to, you know, what, what, so we got, we got Huskis, we got the Ostrich, we got Ramblin' Rabbit, we got Abby, and then we've got the Fiend. So those are five plus Bray makes six. So Bray and Fiend are not one in the same. I guess not. Um, and what was the thing like on the desk? Like, was it, was it like some sort of mask on Cole and Graves' desk? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what it looked like. With like so the is that coming out. Is that one of the six? Sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. Add to it. Yeah. All right. Whatever. There's many. Okay. Uh, Nas from New York. I just want to completely fanboy over that Bray Wyatt return. It was so awesome. Just an incredible shout out to everyone behind the creation of this, to everyone who dived into the rabbit hole, to Way with his incredible commentary for us listeners, and to watching John reacting to Way's commentary. Such a feel-good return. Hope he shows up at Barclays Center on Monday. Uh, thank you for the kind words. It was certainly fun. Like I, I love these sort of puzzles and something tells me that like all of that's kind of done with now, now that we we've kind of got the reveal, but I do hope that like, you know, the character and the show itself continues to operate on that sort of like, you know, this, this was a very successful level. concept way that you can yeah. point to actual numbers and such of this working that I have no doubt in my mind, they will take not verbatim what they did here, but elements of this and sending people online and doing more hidden things. And I think realizing that even if a small percentage of our audience uh, puts all these pieces together, it's going to explode online to our most ardent wrestling fans that are going to follow this stuff through others discovering it that enough buzz is going to build at that level and to the ones that don't follow it we can do the hey tomorrow night the white rabbits here like at the end and that kind of just blankets everybody so Mm. i i think you take this away this was a very successful promotion agreed 
Our last piece of feedback comes to us from Chris from Ottawa, who somehow always seems to get the last word. He says, I swear this isn't recency bias. Screaming Michael Cole, in my mind, moves ahead of Anderson Silva and into the number one spot on the John Pollock Impressions countdown. Wow, that is high praise for a Pollock Impression. I mean, it might be up there, you know. By the way, everybody, um, at Archive Away, Brad the Archivist is doing 31 days of John Pollock Impressions if you follow at Archive Away uh, right now. I believe we just went through... Who did we go through, John? We 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 did Dominic. I believe we did Gene Labelle recently. I don't know. This account's blocked. <laughs> he says Extreme Rules 2022 also gets a 10 out of 10 because of this. Well done. Okay. Well, there you go. I don't know um, why the show should benefit from our post show at all. <laughs> one last super chat here, and this comes to us from Felipe from Chile, who sends. 2,500 Chilean pesos we could retire on this. He says, I hope Wyatt returns and delivers more than the rain in Japan right now. Oh, is it raining? Apparently, yeah. Okay. Uh, Which means a fun race. Uh, Slicks are intermediates. Uh, Wets are are intermediates. I'm asking you. You're asking me. Yeah. (laughs) He says he's following away with the bear. Love from Chile. Yes, thank you, Felipe. Yeah, a lot of people watching the bear as a result of uh, our recommendation. It's a great show. All right. On that note, I've got to wake up in four hours, everybody. So I am going to uh, say goodnight to everybody. But thank you for tuning in to our Extreme Rules post show. Everybody joining us live in the chat room. Uh, when are we back? Wait, when are we doing? Uh, when are we talking again? We are back on Monday, but only, only if all 335 people in here right now hit the like button. Otherwise, we are quitting. I'm, I'm taking Monday off. It's a holiday. We're never doing a show again until we get 339 likes off of this video. And if you're watching this after the fact, listening to this after the, the, the fact, leave a nice review. Don't be one of those guys leaving a, like, a, 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 a review about how we're so uh, woke. We're just like like so many of our reviews lately, John, are just like, wow, look at these guys. They're so good. They're so such SJWs. Do, do us a favor, everybody counter them tell us how um horrible people we are but make sure you give us a five star okay just just you know get us up there uh leave it leave a review on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher hit the like button subscribe whatever you do just uh make us look good everybody you do as way said everybody so yeah uh maybe we'll have a show monday night maybe we won't you can you can that's up to you you truly have the power and uh we, we will find out all right thanks everyone for joining us and that concludes the extreme rules post show we're out